0: Welcome to the Jack and Around Show, hosted by two-time Academy of Country Music Award winner. Jack Ingram. Coming up in two minutes is episode 22, featuring singer songwriter Corey Morrow. Here's a one minute preview.
1: And then, uh, I stepdad was, was, uh, hold on, were you the youngest? Uh huh. So he left when your sister, his daughter, was what,
2: five? She was seven, yeah. seven, six, and I was three. How'd that play out for you? Uh, well, I mean, that's a long, that's a long story. <laughs> <laughs> we got we got plenty of time. <laughs> Called my mom and I was like, I think I'm gonna quit school and I'm gonna try to do this songwriting thing. And my mom's like, say, uh huh. And <laughs> she's like, yeah, you need to come home. So I went home. So and- she was worried. Oh yeah. She sent me to the shrinks.
1: Where'd you get pulled over? Right? by William Cannon again?
2: It was on Mopac at like. Far west, up that, up oh, that yeah. direction. That was my last arrest. I was that about was, to say, is so you... my thirteenth arrest. So what? On, been, what finally did it? uh Being found out by my wife that you were doing, that you were being
1: an idiot, like that that? I was being an idiot. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I used to get high in order to write, do cocaine or ecstasy in order to write. Um, it just got to that point where I tried it once and I loved it, and I liked what I wrote, and people liked what I wrote. So I thought right. well, this is a great path, and it came to a place where I thought if I wasn't high, I couldn't write. And I started learning how to be like you know, high on the Holy Spirit, but. The truth is, when I get to places where I start talking about my faith and I start talking about it in in real time with with somebody who else who
1: who also understands. The Jacking Around Podcast is brought to you by Lone Star Dry Goods collection of handcrafted quality goods with a truly unique Americana vibe. Visit the world headquarters in the heart of downtown Abilene, Texas and Willow Park, Texas near Fort Worth. And visit lonestardrygoods.com for more information.
0: I'm producer Matt Pivito. Today's guest, Corey Morrow, grew up in Houston, Texas. After graduating from Memorial High School in 1990, Corey went off to Texas Tech University, but soon thereafter dropped out of school to pursue his music career and moved to Austin, Texas. Over the next 25 years, Corey has sold hundreds of thousands of records, all without major label support, and tours on average 150 to 200 dates a year. Before we begin, some quick housekeeping notes for bios, including links to watch this episode on YouTube or to listen on your favorite audio platform. Check the show notes or visit jackinaroundshow.com where you'll also find links to all past episodes. Lastly, if you enjoy this show, I can't stress enough how important it is to let your audio and video platforms know by hitting that like, subscribe, and share button. Most importantly, don't forget to leave a comment or give us a big old five star one. And this is where I'll usually toss it over to Jack. But first on a personal note, I met Corey back in 97 and was his first booking agent and booked his shows for the next five years. I continued to book bands through 2012. It would be fair to say without the opportunity Corey gave me, my professional career would look a lot different today. And the same goes for my personal life. You'll hear Corey drop a name throughout this episode. Ryan Lynch was not only Corey's first bass player, but also my best friend for nearly 25 years. The last conversation I had with him on April 5th was about me producing this show for Jack. Tragically, Ryan took his own life on April 6th of 2020. So Lynch, this episode goes out to you. Here's episode 22. Enjoy. <laughs> Is that, when was that picture up
2: there? Is that 95? Who mm-hmm. was saying? It's the, one, the one up top. And where was it? Was it? Uh, but, but what was the event?
1: Jerry Jeffs. Labor, labor Fest. Labor, okay. Okay. That's awesome. It yeah, was fun. Man. That was like,
2: that was like 97. I had, I think that was like when we did our first, very first record. Huh. Paul Lee and Ryan Lynch and Pivotow was, ma- oh, Pivotow was booking us and 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 uh, managing us. It's just a reminder of I'm a the trips to uh, south of the border.
1: Yeah.
2: I'll see that where we go? I just remember trying to eat those, trying to eat one. Right? <laughs> Where were we? <laughs> it was it was the Cunha, right? The they, Cunha. Had the, they had that they had that bar. Bruce Edwards. It was the the is that what it was? The Corona Club. <clears throat> so I went down Bruce there Williams. and a uh, Bruce uh, Williams. What did I say? Bruce Edwards. Um, uh, Boland was playing, and um, and I was. I walked in and I, I just, we just went down there to see him. I was at a ranch and it was like, oh, Jason's playing. So let's go down. So we went down and I, I you know, just hammered drunk. And uh, I had just started learning to do like the little pentatonic thing. And um, what was his name that played steel? Oh,
1: that long haired dude. Yeah.
2: He was super, he, he's like, his guitar sitting And I was like, can I, can I play? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I pick up and, and Jason's like, yeah, yeah, play. And I was like, what key is this in? Like, you know, it's a. I'm like, oh, I know A. I know A. <laughs> and I start, I just start going and they're, I mean, they're playing their show and I'm riffing and it's loud and it's like taking over and they're both, they're smiling. Like, and I know, I know it was, it was awful, <laughs> but they're just, cry, they're just smiling like, yeah, this is the show, people. This is it. You know?
1: That was fun going down there, it man. It was. It was fun once. For that reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember I ended up at a bar. We played with Joe Ely down there one time. And after the after the show, we all walked down. Him and Jesse Guitar Taylor and me and we walked down past the main the, street, the, the restaurant. Down past everything, yeah. like, the streets got dark. Oh yeah, and uh, that that place that was fun, man. <laughs> that was. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we yeah. had a good time. So how you been, man? I've been good, man. I've what have you been, been up to? Uh, writing.
2: Trying to write for, uh, I haven't put anything out like four years, four years. Yeah. And uh, the 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 time between records is getting longer and longer, but I got five kids, so I have a pretty good excuse. Five kids? Yeah. How old are they? 10, 9, 7, 7, and 4. You're busy. My wife is. I'm just trying to pay for it all. Yeah. You're busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are they all out of diapers? Yeah, they are. They have uh, a yeah, couple. Couple of them are still in. Uh, this is funny. The seven-year-olds are still in pull-ups, but the four-year-old is not. She's really, it's girl. The girl's like mature
1: faster. The seven-year-old boys. Yeah, the twins are still in pull-ups, at night. Hey man, let's figure this. Sh- at night, all right. At night, at night. Hey man, I was Just in at pull-ups night. until I was like nineteen. So a little bit of bedwetting going <laughs> <At night>. on. David <laughs> <laughs> Tosh was in pull-ups in uh, college, so it's all good. We, I had a, I had a, a setup that. This is like 1982. Funny part is you're not lying. <laughs> I'm not lying. I know. We had an alarm. It's not funny. So it was like a under a pad underneath so, the bed, so that you'd get up and go to the bathroom that if you started to take a leak in the middle of the night. Oh. It would go beep beep beep. I slept through <laughs> that fucker every time. <laughs> <Shut up. laughs> I'd wake up with the whole fucking alarms were going off.
2: <laughs> we we've set alarms in the middle of the night and we get up and we go wake them up and say you need to go to the bathroom. And then they they <laughs> go to the bathroom and then they then they don't wet the bed but we, we still have them pull ups so we're working on like a you know.
1: I think it's you know I I became an expert in that you find out who your friends are yeah when you spend the night with somebody and you wet their bed oh, that's not yeah and people, then, people don't appreciate that then the, then the when whole you come, you come packing with a with a
2: mattress protector when like, the whole hey, school
1: doesn't know on Monday you know you got a friend oh man it was that long for real how long i probably did it fairly consistently until I was 13 14 man at night and then uh
2: yeah that's it's, it's that's just not a, honestly that's not that uncommon i mean it's a our doctor
1: was telling us that that's that kids can go that far if not longer i think it's a developmental thing in your brain it just it either's it, click it kicking it in if, or not If nobody gave you crap
2: about it it wouldn't be a big deal like if if anybody if nobody like acknowledged that it was a thing
1: You'd be like oh and you'd, you know you just yeah. go until you until your body figured it out right i remember watching the longest mile about that guy who um who ran a sub four minute mile he went to bed and he his mom used to it was old school so his mom would take the sheets and hang them outside of his window to to embarrass him yeah. and the reason he learned how to run so fast according to this you know to the story for television movie yeah. but it's a true story about the olympic olympic guy and I can't remember his name. Um, the, how he got so fast is that after school was over, he would fucking bust a move to run home. To get those, shoots to get those down <laughs> sheets down before anybody saw it was, it, was- it.
2: was Pat Green. It was Pat Green.
1: Yeah, because he's so fast. Right. Um, <laughs> running home,
2: that reminds me of, for some reason, there was a day when the bus, I was elementary school, and the bus is heading down my street to, to drop some kids off. And I was on my bike. And I'm following the bus and everybody's in the back waving and, and I'm like, ah, and the bus hit the brakes and I I don't know how I missed it, but all of a sudden I lock up the rear wheel and I just go sliding and I went, bam. And I mean, I went up into the bus and, and came down and the bus driver had to get out and come check on me. And, and it was that loud.
1: That's great. I've hit
2: an 18 wheeler with a truck before, totaled the truck, ran into the back of it, an 18 wheeler, never stopped because it didn't know I hit it. You
1: totaled it? I totaled my truck. Yeah. You have an interesting... History, yeah. With, you with, and I have a little bit with of moving a vehicles. Small, a small, uh, how did you get into that so much? To to cars and fast cars and I just I've always liked driving fast. I mean, I
2: everybody's got their their thing. I just I've always liked the adrenaline rush. Um, I mean, you know, uh, you get on the back of a horse at, at 11 years old and things start to happen when you start going really fast. Yeah, like oh, this is fun. And then motorcycles, dirt bikes. I had a dirt bike when I was young, and so she's always been into it. Yeah, and then when I when I first started driving, it was like, how can I make this thing go faster? I remember swapping out the the intake manifold with a two barrel carb for a four barrel Quadrajet to make mine go faster. It didn't make it go faster, but it sounded cooler.
1: Right, that, that still sounds cool. It is. Would you call it a four barrel quadrajet?
2: quadrajet? Yeah, man. I mean, yeah, sounds sounds good coming off. Everybody the needs a Quadrajet. I mean, who doesn't? And when it says jet, <laughs> it's nineteen ninety one, and you say Quadrajet, and people are like, hey. You want to go out? i to go hop in my quad jet. jet. <laughs> you want a hot date? Uh, there was a guy with a Ford Galaxy, and it had a 428. Uh, he called it something. It was a 428 something jet. And I was like, what, what does that mean? He's like, it means it's fast, man. <laughs>
1: oh, cool. <laughs> it means the chick's digging,
2: bro. Oh. <laughs> Have you read uh, Matt's book? Matthew? Sorry, Matt, Matthew McConaughey's Some book, of it. Green Lights. Some of it. So I started doing a book on tape. And uh, it's changed my life because I read slow, right? And it just takes me forever. And I'll I'll do the ADD thing. Well, I'll be I'll get to the bottom of the page. I'm like shit.
1: I read it over again. Yeah, I,
2: I just I I do the same I read the thing, whole thing, man. and I was in five different places, and I and I'm like, <laughs> I have no idea what I just read. I read every word. Isn't that great no when that, I when I that happens? And you go, I didn't metabolize fuck, any. I read that over exactly. again. Exactly. The book on tapes, amazing. It's worth every penny. Yeah, and I you finish it within a, like less than a week because I'm always driving. I put that one on and I put on Rob Lowe's things. I only tell my friends. Right. And, uh, now I'm, I'm listening to, um, what is it? Wild at heart. Wild at heart. What is that one? Uh, John Eldridge, Eldridge. John Eldridge, wild at heart. Uh, it's about, uh, finding that, that inner, uh, child inside. That's, uh, that, 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 the idea that men have been emasculated over a, a long period of time here in, here in the West mm-hmm. um, that they're they're trying the the, the culture's trying to crush uh, just the natural desire to be a boy and to be a man and go out and conquer and that the reason we like movies like Braveheart and 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 uh, Kingdom of Heaven and things like that and we go out and, and Sir Lancelot you know go slaying a bunch of soldiers with your sword and save the lady and mm-hmm. um, and to serve uh, higher powers because. That's what's in us. That's what, that's what the natural drive for us to do as men is. And so it's, it's talking about re-embracing that and going out into the wild and, and sort of embracing nature and and finding your place in the world and your, your calling by God and
1: that kind of thing. That's a trip. I've always thought, at least over the last decade or so, I came up with a theory that culturally, because of those, those issues and those, those uh, natural instincts, you know, we, we did have used physical force for yeah. a long time, whether right. it's conquering well, other men or conquering women. And I, I come from a strong family of women. And I've, I've often thought of this as like, this is our head and we're in the middle of the knee coming up from the girl going, fuck you motherfucker. <laughs> as, as far as this time <laughs> <Yeah>. in history. <laughs> like we're about to hit impact on the knee. <laughs> oh my gosh i haven't thought about
2: it like that well, well there is I'm a- the same way i have, I have a family of, of strong women i mean that's my mother my stepmother all okay. very strong women and i grew up with with women i was like the only boy in my house yeah uh i was uh yeah upbringing was like lack of a father figure and that's this book addresses that too that there's there's a lack of a father figure where was in your dad of these kids houses Oh, well, he, they divorced when I was three and he moved to San Antonio. Um, so I would see him every other weekend kind of thing, you know?
1: Right. He was a divorced daddy daycare kind of stuff. He'd
2: come pick the three of us up. And the then my, my middle sister's special needs. And so there was that dynamic as well. And then my uh, stepdad was, was, uh.
1: Hold on. Were you the youngest?
2: Uh-huh. Yeah. So he left when your sister, his daughter was what? Five? She was seven, yeah. seven, six, and I was three. Or seven, yeah, no, I guess six, six, five, and three, something like that.
1: And you were living in Houston, right? Yeah. So how did that how did that play out for you? Uh, well, I mean that's a long, that's a long story. <laughs> we got we got plenty of time. <laughs> time <really> <laughs> uh, well, that's actually. Well, kinda... I know it played out for you. It's it was uh, you know when we first got to know each other, and Anna Jens was in my band. Yeah, your, your former guitar player. Yep. Yep. And um, we had discussions about that, not about your dad leaving you, but like. Your need for the, whatever that is. How, how did that play out?
2: Yeah, that need for that, that fatherly figure. Yeah, right? something. So, so I guess, you know, as, as I was growing up, I always remember wanting my mom to remarry my dad. That was just the, the thing. And then she met somebody else when I was nine and she married him when I was 11 and stayed married to him until he died back in like 04. Mm-hmm. Um, his name was Joe. and Good guy? He loved us and he was a good guy, but complicated, but, but he had, yeah, he had his, he had his he, demons like anybody else, but yeah. uh, at the end of the day, I know he, he loved us and he took care of us and you know, he would do anything for us, but our relationship was real messed up. You know, I mean, was it we're, a disciplinarian we're thing? No, no. It was, it was like, I was a mama's boy and he would, he would berate my father and, and my mother in front of me. And it was just a, just a different upbringings, man. Yeah. Um, I get it. Uh, he had, he had daddy issues as well. And, and, and mommy issues and his brother, he had to identify his brother's body. Uh, his brother had been murdered in downtown Houston, stabbed to death, um, by a pimp, uh, just stuff like that. Um, but you know, we, we smoked weed together when I was 18. You Uh, and your stepfather? Got drunk when I was 14 with him. And so, and, and went to the, you know, the strip clubs with him when I was 18 and older. And so it was that kind of. He wanted to be a friend. He wanted, but he wanted to be my dad too. Yeah. He would, he would always kind of lean in that direction, call himself that. And, and while doing that, telling me what a piece of crap my dad was. Yeah. That's rough. Didn't fare well. Well, and then wanting every guy that came into my life, being my, my sister's boyfriends or whoever, I wanted them to be my big brother. Yeah. Always looking at everybody. Can you, be? will you be my big brother? We'd be, and
1: they're like, yeah, what the heck's wrong with this kid? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You were that kid, that needy.
2: Yeah. That Mama, and I was a mama's boy and I was needy. Yeah. yeah so being confused. a mama's boy, you
1: probably were confused about how, what role a man's supposed to play.
2: That. And then, and then the, the whole sex thing, like my mom gave me a book and said, go read that. And when, if you have any questions, come back and ask me. It had cartoon drawings on it. Yeah. And then I gave it back to her and, she, and I was like, but, <laughs> but she's like, you can ask your dad. No, I didn't ask my dad. I didn't have that kind of relationship with my dad. You know what I mean? Right. So it was like, I just figured it out by looking in Playboy magazine and talking to my friends. You know? Yeah.
1: Well, I, would, I do wonder how many people really have experienced the talk with their father. I don't, I don't know. It's 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 a tough talk to have, not because of the subject matter, but because kids are so reticent. Like, no! They don't. They don't want to talk about it. Like, m- my
2: seven-year-olds and nine- ten-year-olds, when, when they see a girl and boy kissing on TV, they all go, ah! And I'm like, guys, I, I hit pause. I'm like... <laughs>
1: What, what? What's he
0: doing? What did you
2: say? I didn't say either. I was turning off my phone. He sneezed. I thought I heard the the replay of what I just do, said. Do you
1: remember Echoing. working with oh, yeah. Toe? Oh, yeah.
2: I watched some of the outtakes earlier. I was like, <laughs> it's like not, dude. not surprising. Yeah. Um. God, I forgot what I was talking about. Damn it, Dale. Sorry.
1: <laughs> what? So... Um, Hold up. When you when you started playing music, you were in love. You were in high school or lo- or was that when you were in love So Joe and my mom went to uh Cunha and uh
2: they bought me a guitar that was not quite that nice. Uh just real, you know. Just a Mexican cheap beater. Mexican yeah, beater. And um yeah, he, there's. He, he went in, and they wanted
1: we like, I wonder if we're, if we're allowed to say that these days. Okay, yeah, I guess it, whatever. We're one of those cheap Mexican beaters. Hey, nothing, nothing I say
2: is, <laughs> is 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 racist or ugly. It's just just words that I use. You know, I try to get canceled. It doesn't work. I, I'm not. I'm not being. You know, it's anyway. Um,
1: not, not, right, I, had a, I had this conversation with with Bruce Robinson a couple of years ago, and I said, "We're in the in the business of language," and Everybody knows exactly what you mean when you go, man, that's gay. Even gay guys know that. Exactly. They do. <laughs> it's funny. I didn't win the argument. It's key. You didn't? Well, I won it in my mind, but. But Bruce won it with his words. The culture's <laughs> just too. Uh,
2: the culture's too sensitive. They're
1: just, they're just on that. They're so, just too sensitive. You can't
2: win. The culture's worried that they're worried. That's what it is. They live out of fear. So a right, so guitar is like 20 bucks. He went in there and said, I'll give you 10 bucks for it. And the guy's like, no, it's 20. He goes, all right, 15. The guy goes, no, it's 20. And he's like, you don't know how to do this. He goes, are you gambling, man? The Guy's like, sure. He's laid down uh, $40 on the table and he took a quarter out and he goes, I'm going to flip it. You call it. If it lands on what you call, you keep the 40 bucks in the guitar. If it doesn't, I keep the 40 bucks in the guitar. And the guy's like, all right. So he flipped it, called heads, landed on tails, took the money, took the guitar, walked out, and then came back around the corner. He gave the guitar and money to my mom, came back around the corner and laid down $10 and he goes, that's what I wanted to pay for it, and then it worked out. So that's the story of my <laughs> that's first pretty guitar. Good, man. It's a good, good, good first story. He, he made it right. Um, that's and good. So I negotiation. Took I took lessons, and uh, then got a couple of better guitars. You know, during that high school time. So that was I was about fourteen or so. Then get to high school, and all through high school, and taking lessons, and uh, and playing what? Like, what were you into? Zeppelin, Zeppelin,
1: so all yeah. That
2: yeah, classic all rock. <laughs> yeah just um and and bob seger and stuff like that you're
1: younger right you're what are you 47 i'll be 50 this year 50
2: yeah oh you're not that much younger okay no, no. i mean it was the, the the first real thing i had was a, a bob seger a silver bullet band cassette in my and i put it in my tape deck every morning going to Night school my moves yeah exactly turn the page that kind of stuff yeah um and then my buddy got me into
1: uh zeppelin the stones and classic rock and were you learning keith richard's parts no. Like were you learning the guitar guitar? Like like I, I like learned I, I've always noticed you're a good guitar player.
2: Well, I, I I I I like to try to get better all the time. I, I can I feel like I can hold my own to I, I'm not as knowledgeable about what I'm playing as 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 much as like you show me the part and I'll I'll learn it. Right. Um no, I would learn like La Bamba. You know, things like that. Signature licks, Mm -hmm. basically. I I wouldn't be able to sit in and play the whole song with anybody because I never learned the whole song. Right. I learned the pieces that I wanted to learn, and then I ADD out, and I go find something else to take my That's like a lot of
1: us with our careers. (laughs) (laughs) I laugh because I can relate. Uh,
2: I keep trying to go into the car business for the last five years. But anyway, Um, yeah, so uh, then when I got to college… I brought my guitar with me. And like, brought, were you writing songs? Brought an amp. No, were you just no? And 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 I had been to my first Jerry Jeff Walker concert. So I I I knew of Willie and Kenny Rogers and Waylon and all those guys because my mom was a member uh, of the uh, Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo. She was on the committees all growing up. I mean we have a we have a, a poster that's on her wall now that was on there when I was a. Uh, preteen uh, that I remember looking at and trying to memorize everything that it said on it, and it was just basically talking about the livestock show, this livestock show and rodeo, 1983 to 1984. Wow! And so, uh, you know, that was that was just one poster that I remember. Who
1: was headlining?
2: Yeah, was Kenny Rogers, I think. You know, back in that wait. day, <laughs> exactly. So Not that was Donna the music Summer. that was on the radio at my house, but it wasn't the music that I was diving into, and I wasn't really like a, a music fanatic, you know. I was just more into like trying to, to get girls to like me. So the guitar was a great tool for that.
1: That fits your person. That goes right alongside the fast cars and the learning to play licks, not really songs. Yeah. A little
2: insecure. Not sure who I am. Not sure who I'm supposed to be. What does a man look like? What does it, what does it mean when you become a man? Like what are the, what are those definitions? What are those parameters? What are the lines? Yeah. So, uh, but I took the guitar, electric guitar and amp to college and, uh, 12th floor of Weymouth in Lubbock and, uh, man, I, I, we were on the end, end uh, dorm room, I'd open up the the door and turn everything up to 11 and just start playing those Zeppelin licks and everybody come down, oh, what's up, man? I'm like, ah, oh. and then, uh, then I would bring my acoustic guitar to the uh, fraternity parties and hang out after and, and then that kind of led to um, one of my buddies was like, I know this guy, he just learned how to play guitar and, uh, but he's pretty good. And I'm like, okay. And, he's, and they brought him in. It was Pat. And so your friend him. was a liar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting bad. No, Pat'll admit it. Pat was like, I, they they really built me up. He's like, I, I didn't know what I was doing. Like, well, neither one of us did. But I'd had a few more years of of guitaring under my belt. So we start. We, it was David Henry. You know David Henry? Yeah. We sat around David Henry's house, and he had a wall. His entire wall was CDs. Right. I mean the entire wall with CDs. And mm-hmm. so we just sit there and we pull off all these CDs and we play them. And then, you know, there's no internet, there's no, we didn't even have a tuner for the guitar. So we're trying to learn these songs just by ear and Pat who just picked up the guitar and me who kind of paid attention and we get most of it wrong, but we get enough of the, of the chord correct to where we kind of sing the right note. And so we'd write the words down on a note spiral notebook. And put the D, G, C, and then turn a page for the next set of words. And we had a music stand, and they got us a gig, and we didn't even know what a gig was. We're like, "What? Think we need to get y'all a gig because there's no girls at David's house." We'd hang out there all night, <laughs> be making drinks, and we'd learn songs, and everybody singing. We're they're all go look this one up and, and learn this one. Okay, so we work on that one for a few hours, and then they got us a gig. And man, everybody showed up. All these girls and guys showed up. And this is about the time that uh, so when I graduated in '91. My buddy Clint Edwards brought me your CD, yeah, and he put it on at his mom's house. You know Clint, I think,
1: yeah, um,
2: and, and and Karen, yep, and uh, put it his on mom. at your house and uh, at his house, sorry, and and and, and we were just like, ah, who's this? It's like this Jack, this you know, son, and it's a friend of family, and wow. And so then when I went to college, then you came and you opened for Jacko Pierce at the Depot Warehouse.
1: Yeah, man,
2: I was there, and we were watching. It was just like is it so this is this is something people can do i'm like (laughs) yeah so he went to college and he played with his first college friends and this is something and i was like and they're like you know you you should give this a try and i'm just like well i don't i don't know uh and so that's when we really started like maybe if we work hard you know like let's go really like forget going to college let's go to this college right so we go to david's house every night it was once a week then it became every night and that's when the, the the studies started to fail the grades started dropping And, uh, but we, but we, you know, went in there and started trying to write and that's when, and then I had a, I actually had a fraternity brother. He died in a car wreck and it was the first person that I had really known other than like your grandmother or something like that. Mm -hmm. Somebody that I was close in age to that had passed away. And so that struck me and I, and I wrote a song about it and then uh, put it on a, a CD years later. Um, but it was, did you know, then
1: like when at, you that wrote point, that song about at that your point, at that point, I knew, oh, I knew it, different. it
2: was an outlet for me that it was a, it was a way of uh, therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I grew up so since I was eight or nine years old, like right when my mom met my stepdad, I started going to therapy and I was, mm-hmm. uh, I was in The elementary school. Remember, they used to have the behavioral therapists. You go into their office, and they had had those little toys toys and things. I was seeing that person since second grade, yeah, uh, maybe even first. And so it was always. Did you have like?
1: Did you did you have like learning disabilities? Um,
2: No, I was just Just, extremely emotional, and just like I was uh, when I was about twelve or thirteen, I was semi-suicidal. But I was just really, I was very uh, not in touch with my emotions necessarily. I couldn't like identify what was going on, but I was very emotional. Mm-hmm. And I was just constantly having issues with things. Mama's boy, whatever you want to call it. But uh I was always seeing a therapist talking about it and trying to work it out and figure out what was going on. And my stepdad's like, you know, quit being a pussy. <laughs> that's, you- that's the answer. That's what I was looking
1: for. Duh, why didn't you say that earlier, God. Dad? Dang it.
2: <laughs> uh so yeah, dad. So uh yeah, so I mean, uh there there was just a lot of therapy going on and then um uh So your mom was
1: into like
2: that's so all through high school. She was into know, that She scene, was like, This though. is good. Yeah. Because yeah. in the 80s, it was it. You do therapy. It wasn't psychiatrists, it was psychologists. So oh, it yeah. was just talking. There was no
1: medicine. I remember my parents so we were to John Bradshaw. Yeah. He was a Houston.
2: Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I saw Ed Reitman. Yeah. Did you know that name? Anyway. So there's a whole other sideline of stories to go along with that as well. So fast forward to college, and then I'm like, you know, I'm really focusing on the, on the writing now and, and trying to like realizing that this was a new way, new therapy for me was the writing mm-hmm. and getting this stuff out. Like I, now I have a way to express it that was better than going to a guy's office and talking to him, man, I could just, I could pour it out and find, like, find another way to, to exude all that. Yeah. And so, um, when I came, I called my mom and I was like, yeah, I think I'm gonna, um, I think I'm gonna quit school and I'm gonna try try to, to do this songwriting thing. And I have no idea what I'm gonna do, but I'm gonna move to Austin. And, um, and I'm going to like all my friends from college are there, uh, that, I mean, from high school, they're all half of them went to a and the other half went to UT. Yeah. So I'm going to move to Austin and I'm going to start playing for the fraternities there like Jackie Ingram did. And, uh, and I'm gonna see if I can't follow that path and and try to make something of it. And my mom's like, um, say, uh-huh. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, you need to come home. So I went home. So and, she was worried. Oh yeah. She sent me to the shrink and, uh, you know, I, I've, told a story on a record. Like I, I went in there and, and I made a couple of, I put a recorded a couple of songs on cassette and I gave it to him and he, he had a cassette player in his office and he put it on, played it, listened to it. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I can see, because I can see that you have some, you know, there's something there. And I'm like, all right, awesome. He goes, so what's your plan? I go, well, I figure two years, I'm going to just go, I'm going to go get a job at where at Dunkin' Donuts or wherever, and I'm going to have a day job. And then in the evenings, on the weekends, I'm going to work on trying to get gigs, and I'm just going to keep trying to figure it out. And he goes, you're 21. You're young. You have your whole life ahead of you. You have a plan. There's something here. I think you should try it. And I was like. "That <laughs> your mom was happy. I was like, man, it, bullshit worked. I was like, holy cow. But it wasn't BS. I mean, it was. I, no, I, it's not. BS. I, I had it in my heart. I wanted to do it, yeah. and and I didn't want to be in school. I wanted to do this. I just, with all of my heart, I wanted to do this. And so, my mom and my stepdad come back in the room. He calls them back in. They, I, just sitting on the couch. Stepdad crosses his legs. You know, arm around my mom. He's ready for the. To tell For them, the that I'm going back to school, <laughs> yeah. right? That Corey's just, you know, off his rocker, and thank God you brought him when you did. He goes, no, I think we, I think we need to let him give this a shot." And and my mom, and my stepdad, are like, and my my stepdad's like, you know, we pay you three hundred dollars an hour, and it's just like, this this is the uh, this is what this is the answer you're giving us. Yeah, it's man. Like, yeah. If, you, if so, you're good,
1: you can't buy him. So
2: uh, that was it, man. That was the beginning of of the end, so to speak. But I moved to Austin and and, um, moved in with my cousin in Lakeway. Lived there for about six months. And then he kicked me out. And then. uh, So
1: did you get a day gig? I did. I worked for a courier company here in
2: Austin, uh, Quicksilver Delivery. I worked in the office. And then when they really needed help, I'd go out and drive. And so that was, it was perfect. And I told the guy from the beginning, I said, you know, um, I'm going to. this is what I'm trying to do. And he goes, well, he goes, half of my staff are aspiring musicians. So this is Austin. So great. Uh, You know, I said, well, sometimes I might want to maybe take off early on Friday or whatever. Can we make that work? He said, we'll make it work. So he was awesome. But I got, I got depressed, you know, as you can imagine, and I would drink too much and then smoke too much. And then I wouldn't come into work because I was like, what am I doing? I don't want to go to, I don't want to work. Mm -hmm. And then I'd get fired. And then, um, Pivotow comes along. Were you playing gigs though? I was doing burgers and beers, like uh, mostly at the Kapsig house and the K.A. house. Yeah, They were pretty much hiring me every week. So I had like two gigs a week. And then I started to get like Pete's Piano Bar and then Hang 'Em High Saloon. We started getting regular gigs. Pivotow comes along, starts booking us at And, um, and, and it, would go, it would go like this for about six years. Uh, I Once a year or twice a year, I would either quit or he'd fire me and it would oscillate. It would just be like, Tope. things would be going good. We'd get some gigs in. I was like, we're going, things are good. We're making some money. Go, I go to the boss and be like, I, I'm going to quit. Uh, we're just working too much. I don't, I don't want to put you out. he's like, okay, you'll be back. <laughs> they always come back. Like a month later. I mean, less than a month later, it would always happen. I'd be, I'd run out of money and I'm like, I got to pay the rent. And I'd come in and he'd take me back. And then I'd get depressed. And I wouldn't show for work and he fired me. And we just went through this dance for six years. And then the last time I quit. Right. Because right, we were, we were doing good enough. And and he said, so we'll see in what, two, three months this time. And I was like, I don't think you're going to ever see me again, other than to come back and tell you. How'd you know fortunate. things were
1: going? How'd you know things were going well enough to do that? Like, how'd you, um, was it just numbers? think this was, I,
2: I had paid all the bills for the month and, and I was paying for not just myself, but a couple other people that living in the house and kind of thing um two car payments i was i was paying for all this stuff and we i paid all the bills for the month and we still had two thousand dollars left in the bank and i was like and then we had more shows on the books yeah and so i just looked at it and said i can make this work like i can i could live off that two thousand for another few why months. why did
1: you have two cars
2: I, it was it's confusing i mean it's a, it's it's complicated
1: this car thing g- gets you into it, some shit <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. It has begun. It, yeah, yeah. It's true. It's true. The cars cost me a lot of money. Were
1: those little, were those fast cars, chick chick magnet cars?
2: Yeah, yeah. And there was a and Porsche. you had two of them. Well, it was. I was paying for. It's complicated. We got. That's all we got here. I was paying for somebody else's. They were. They were. We had a, a, a agreement organization uh it's it's complicated you know that didn't it didn't and work were you out selling what, the out we the H-
1: hang em high saloon like were you, at that so, point, so we started to sell tickets
2: i got that i got that gig to open up for everybody uh um, john dixon made me the house band for for Hang 'Em high so i got to open up for for willie uh myrtle haggard the bellamy brothers Was that the one on sixth street yeah where we played Sh- upstairs you chris wall yeah no it wasn't upstairs it was right up, on the window right, the right window, in the window that's window. right yeah and so we were the house band. Jens was, Jens was playing guitar and, and we were doing that every, so I had Tuesdays at Pete's piano bar on the same block, Wednesdays at TAP and, and, and uh, College Station, and then Thursdays at Hangem High. And then we'd do uh, fraternity sorority parties Friday, Saturday. So we were, we were booked up five days a week for like a month or two out. Mm-hmm. And, and so th- when that started happening- this, it was this, 94, 95? It's 95, 96. Yeah. So nice, seven ninety eight. I quit my day job in like 98, 99 is when it all kind of started coming together to the point that that i could quit and then you know that frees you up to smoke more weed and drink more beer and, and play more video games yeah what was
1: going on with that with uh <laughs> like you go from kind of a structured thing where when you start fucking up you're in therapy and kind of reining it in or trying to but when you're mid-20s early 20s
2: and you don't have to go to a job the, you don't have to be responsible that for anything. yeah 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 so
1: what happened like did it get out of hand oh yeah
2: yeah. Constantly. I mean, it was, it was constantly on hand. I, I would, I would drink or drug myself into uh, just serious depressive stupors. Um, I was living on, on a couch in, in a buddy's house. And at one point and um, went downtown to Sixth street, uh, had a baseball bat in between the seats and went out drinking at the bars and then went, got in my car and was just, just gone. Um and I'm trying to drive home and, and like somebody cut me off. And I remember putting it in park and getting the bat out and like chasing the guy down with my bat. Oh. Then I got back in the car and drove to Jack in the Box and got everything on the menu and then went back to the house and started eating. And in the middle of eating, I just broke down, and like fell apart. I just had a nervous breakdown. Really? Yeah. I just started crying and screaming and I was throwing food all over. I was just like, what have I done with my life? Who am I? What? How old were you? 20? Twenty-five.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Midlife
2: crisis at 25. Well, living like that, well, that would be midlife. Right? <laughs> I mean, it was just, yeah, it was just a constant, uh, and, and, and none of, none of the, one of the things that I never really learned how to do was, was manage my money. And so- I was
1: about to say, you we were living on a couch, but yeah. you're making all that, you had gigs that, through the roof. Yeah. So where were you we putting your money? Under the, under the pillow
2: or i don't i i honestly i wish i knew it was just i threw a lot of money away i'd spend we'd go to Cause You um, get paid in cash pretty much back then we, we'd go to walmart you know uh, after the gig you know to to get supplies and i drop two or three thousand dollars at walmart just buying stuff for everybody because i you know all of our guys like man I, I i need some new jeans and new shoes and i was like go get whatever you want I'm like we need a new xbox for the bus get we need some games get
1: you know oh i bet a therapist would love talking about that it was awesome <laughs> But they did they made they made money off me too you were trying to be the dad that you never had kind of father figure man for these, you know
2: i never even thought about that that's exactly what i was doing it's true because it probably felt good it did i i i really enjoyed being able to do that for for folks i i knew what it was like to not have it and and wish somebody would give me the opportunity and loan me the money to do something and we had people loan us money to make our first cd yeah and then years later I didn't pay a lot of them back. I just, I lost the the notebook that had their names and stuff and what I owed them. Yeah. And, and one of them was my uncle and he called me up one day and he goes, and he's a bazillionaire. He calls me up and he says, you know, you never did pay me back for that record. And this was like, you know, 10 years ago. Um, so I had 15 years into having some pretty good success and a lot of things positively happening. And I was like, I just forgot. I mean, I literally, and, and there was a list of those. Uh, right paulie's uncle was one um margaret greer's uh, father was one I mean, it was just like this litany of people that i what a thousand was bucks ten
1: ten grand, grand. Like five hundred to a
2: thousand bucks yeah. was each one of them i uncle. remember
1: that's how i did mine too and so uh
2: my uncle's like you yeah, why don't you come over and, and i was like yeah absolutely so i came over and i and i paid him and he goes i just want you to know it. thank you and um i'm never gonna loan you another dollar and I just want this to be a lesson for you. Um, because you know, you you it would have been so easy for you to do this, and I would have lent you money till the day that I died. Yeah. Because but I'm never gonna ever again. And he goes, and it's not because I don't want to or that I don't believe in you. And I was like, <sighs> it was like one of the worst days, you know, but it was also one of the best. And it was a lesson I got from my dad's brother. Mm-hmm. So uh there's those kind of things happening. But uh yeah, I just was never good at so. As much as I didn't like Joe, uh, I ended up kind of being a lot like him, right? So I, I'm like, I don't want to be anything like that guy because I think he's a piece of crap. But what do I end up doing? Drinking, hanging out at strip clubs and, and smoking a lot of weed and wanting everybody to love me by spending lots of money on him. That's exactly what he did. And he wanted, he had nice cars, nice house. He wanted, he wore rings and he liked for people to see him and be loud and, yeah, and he was popular. Front. He was like, he walk in the room and everybody knew it. Yeah. And I was like, I want to be that, but I hate you
1: yeah well, right that's a common thing so uh um, attracted and repelled by the same right by the same issues so it uh it it played out like that
2: for for years the when I was 25 and had that breakdown I went to um I came home to him and my mom and they sent me to uh the Methodist Hospital seventh floor uh I think he told me he spent thirty five thousand dollars on me for that week to to be in the hospital to go through you know depression and and rehab and it was really good. It was a it was, was really it a good. detox
1: situation? Yeah, was yeah. It?
2: for sure. But it was also like heavy uh, um, mental therapy. Mental. Yeah, yeah. And you know, after a couple of days of sobering up, I remember I call I called Lynch, Matt, and I was like, "Hey, I'm I'm in here. Lynch and Pito. I mean, Lynch, Pito, and, and Pinkernell are like all on the phone, like listening. You know, got one phone, so they're all listening. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, yeah. I'm, I put myself in the hospital, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be out. Um, until after the weekend and he's like we have a gig this weekend we got we we're playing oh, i bet yens was freaking out <laughs> lynch was livid and i was like i am sick i've got serious issues and he goes what are you talking about man just get over it get over here <laughs> he's like lynch did not understand like he was not having it he's like just pull your boots up and just come we on. got a gig dude <laughs> we got a gig and i was like i know man i want to be there but i can't and it's like it was tough but, you know, you spend a couple of days sober and then you go into these therapy sessions with, with other people that are in there, right? And, man, these people have serious freaking problems. I mean, there was a guy in there dying of AIDS. Right. And he was, he was younger than me. And it was just like, and he, he was depressed. He's like, what do I have to live for? Because I know I'm going to die in the next like six months. And it was just like, okay, you know what? I'm basically being a mama's boy and a crybaby. And things aren't going my way. And so I'm going to get sad and depressed and drink too much and smoke too much. I think I can fix this problem. Right. You know, so go sober up. Refocus, so was that the and- end of
1: that issue? Hell no. Yeah. So it t- t- took another decade took- and a half, right?
2: Yeah. Multiple, multiple levels of, of what, uh, um, my wife and I, we call those the, uh, the missed, um, what do you call them? Jesus, the missing years. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, uh, uh, it was, it was wake up calls yeah like a wake up call like wake up you got everything you need in front of you and you're you're wasting it but no I uh,
1: God I wish I knew what you were talking about I I can't identify so, with that at all so Jack tell me, tell me. <laughs> on. this ain't about me uh, brother it's my show brother.
2: it's my show um, so you remember that black car that that one we tore the out one of, you we drove we out of, out of Guero's and you would go
1: mother this is a freaking race car <laughs> no. I, was like, I was like oh yeah Jack likes it <laughs> I was sitting in the back, I
2: think. Oh, you were right up front. You had your hand okay. on, the ball, and on the you were and you were ball. doing the- I Well, I punched it. And when you punched it, it lights them up. And I came out of where it was like that, and we did we did fishtail out of there, and everybody at where it was like,
1: douche. <laughs> I was like, you got issues, brother. <laughs> douche. And you're
2: like, man, what's your problem? Right. And I just love the idea of drifting and stuff. It is so it is
1: fun, especially car- when you, you know- I didn't know you could drive, so I thought we were fucking dying. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> That's right. You did. <laughs> yeah. you like, all right, I'm glad you can drive. I, I was want like, out. Dude. <laughs> I want
2: out. That, the reason I got that car is because the car before it was a, a little Porsche, and I had totaled it um, coming home at 630 in the morning, wide awake uh, from a party. And my buddy, Clint Edwards, was sitting next to me. And uh, he had been drinking all night, so he was barely awake,
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, unaware of what I had been doing all night. And then um, we coming down. The uh, overpass from Mopac to Two Ninety, heading out towards the the wide Oak Hill, towards the mm-hmm. light at William Cannon. I know where. You are. So back in the day, you just come down off that thing and it and you straight shot to the light at William Cannon, mm-hmm. and there's nothing. And we were doing about 120, and we had that that CD by Jet Cold Hard Cold Hard, Cold Hard gotch, you know. Oh yeah, about? Jet Cold the, the Bench. Yeah. yeah. So that was jamming, and it was the whatever the the current uh, big hit on was. And that was cranked up. The top was down and and me and Clint were like, ah, you know, having a ball. And and uh, Adrenaline junkies. I went down and, and was messing with it. And I look up and we're at the light. It was yellow and I was doing 120. So downshift, downshift. I avoid a couple of cars. I avoid oncoming traffic. And then we got sideways and everybody saw us coming and they stopped. Luckily. Sideways through the intersection. And then there was a uh, like kind of little makeshift. You know wooden building where a guy was selling pottery mm-hmm. it's not there anymore um i went through it and took out all that and then landed in the woods and uh, we were both okay but that was like i remember waking up and the you know the cop came and he was like anyway i don't want you don't wanna get any trouble but he was like i can i could smell that you've been drinking but you look like you're awake and i was like yeah it works. Very that stuff works. Very For observant of you. Sure, <laughs> <laughs> drugs he, work. He's like, you look like you're okay. <laughs> yeah, you seen the movie? Uh, was that movie Denzel Washington where he's a pilot?
1: Oh yeah, you know what I'm talking about Crash or yeah. uh, the one where he flies plane. the plane upside? Yeah, up yeah. yeah, he
2: flies planes, plane up upside. Like, flight, flight. That's what it felt like. I was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. Trust me, <laughs> everything's good. Um, so we, you know, we went back to my house and and both just broke down. You know, we because so the cops died.
1: There was no. Repercussions from the police? No, it was just no. a one-car accident, and
2: yeah, and we got through that. That didn't really stop anything. And then, um, uh, so so I got that BMW because I traded in the Porsche for something faster. The BMW, yeah, was yeah, yeah M3. I was gonna say you needed something faster, right? You go from one. I needed to step up. The problem was I wasn't going fast enough. <laughs> That's right. If I had been going fast enough, you I would have missed the building. Gone through the yellow light and not not hit the red. It would have been green. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Green light. <laughs> Here you go. Uh, that's what he says at, at the end of every uh, chapter of his book. If you get the audio.
1: Oh, yeah. On McConaughey's book. He goes, green light. Sometimes his voice just stays in my head. We'll talk about that, that blessing in next <laughs> uh,
2: So, yeah, then um, uh, got that car. And then, then the, big, the big night happened. That was like.
1: Uh, the one that made the news.
2: Yeah. That was like 04, I think
1: um you weren't married yet mm-mm. no
2: no i i met her uh not long after that uh but that was yeah that was a bad one i was uh you know i, I would get depressed right and i'd go drinking and then um because i just wasn't happy i had all this stuff and i had we had success so to speak but it, i was always comparing it with other people's success yeah. and thinking it wasn't good enough and everything i was doing wasn't good enough and wasn't good enough wasn't good enough and then i'd go downtown and get drunk and try to pick up girls and then, you know, strike out. And so then I go see, find somebody who had some cocaine and and I do that. And then that woke me up because that had a pretty good history of waking me up. And, uh, and then I got in the car and my, my ritual was uh, get drunk, get high, get on Mopac, get over a hundred miles an hour, turn around at 2222 22 and go back down and then go out to Oak Hill where I lived mm-hmm. every night at 2.30 in the morning. So that was just what I did. Right. Had pretty good success with it until that night. Yeah, they they I, I'm cruising about uh
1: Where'd you get pulled over? Right? By William Cannon again?
2: It was on Mopac at like Far West up that, oh, that yeah. direction, Spicewood Springs, Far West, somewhere like that. You go all the way up there. Yeah. So he. Uh, that was it.
1: It was a good night. Was that okay? So that was my last arrest. I was that about was, to say. So my thirteenth arrest. A lot of people <laughs> say that some wake up call comes and happens like that.
2: Well, that wasn't. A, it didn't. That wasn't the last one either. I
1: was about to say that didn't. They didn't do it. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, I've, uh, so I've been through a lot in the last 10 years. Um, so what, hold what been, finally did it? Uh, being found
1: out by my wife. That you were doing, that you were being an idiot like did that? I was being an idiot, yeah. <laughs> that I was, yeah. So it yeah. was an ultimatum that just like, hey, you're, you're going to change this or I'm going to leave?
2: No. It, the ultimatum was um, tell me the truth and we'll have a chance. And if you lie to me, then we're done. Yeah. So I was like, I'd never heard anybody speak like that or give me that kind of of an opportunity, and so um, right, you know,
1: yeah, because the truth, like, doesn't tell the any. truth, and and we we
2: might have a chance. We we might have a chance. So it's, it's like,
1: it's that thing that you never believe, like when your parents said, "Tell me the truth, and you won't get in that big of trouble." But and she didn't say
2: we won't. She said no, we I know. might. And that that was well, that was the difference for me. It was like she didn't say we won't get divorced. She said we might not. But yeah. tell me the truth. And so I was like. How am I going to get out of this? Like, what am I going to, because I'm not going to tell her the truth, you know, like there was too many truths to tell and she thought it was just one truth. And so I sat there and was like trying to figure out what to say. And my head spinning. I was so hungover. I'd just gotten off a plane from Denver and gone up to Denver and been out all night, went to Broncos game, got all messed up. Ended up in a, in a titty bar and then, uh, back to the hotel. A titty bar. Now what is that again? Yeah. It's gentlemen's club. <laughs> Used to be called gun clubs. Now they're so, gentlemen's clubs.
1: So you're home and it's, 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 it's time.
2: Yeah. She picks me up at the airport. Wants want to see the phone, uh, going through the phone, trying to find something. And, uh, yeah. So then she based the way she laid it out was just like, I know you've done something. Tell me what it is. And we'll have a chance. If you don't, then we're done. And i am got a you know, two-year-old and a brand new, like one month old. And I'm. That's heavy. I'm sitting there. And so what's about to happen is what happened with me and my sisters and my dad, they got divorced when I was this, basically the same age as my two-year-old. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just sitting there. I'm just like, I, I'm about to just continue the cycle. And, uh, and so I was, my head was reeling, man. I was just spinning. I was just, what, how am I going to get out of this? What am I going to tell her? And um. And then, I mean, I felt like this real weird warmth, like come over me and I just sat there and I like physically my memory is there that, 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 that like the roof opened up and this light kind of shone down. And I know that didn't happen, but that's like, that's my memory of it. And, uh, and then I felt this, like these words, like just basically telling me, encouraging me to tell her to confess. And so. Uh, I was like, I don't even know where to begin. I don't know. So, I'm, th- I'm thinking, I'll just go with what's probably the most likely. And so, I told her, you
1: know, this particular This truth. happened.
2: This happened. And she's like, thank you for telling me, but that's not it. So, then it began. And that was, you know, several hours of me trying to figure out what's next. And I'm just, was it this? Was it this? Was it this? And when I finally laid everything that I had out, on the table, and it wasn't it. it ended up being something else that uh, ended up not being something that I actually facilitated, but that I attempted to facilitate. and um, uh, so like, I got all those secrets and try not keep it from hers, and I lay them all out. and then so there was this sense of relief for me, having been freed of all those lies that I have to like tiptoe around, and at the same time, I'm watching her basically carry all of them. So there was a huge picture analogy of what I what I, you know, learned later in my walk is like the picture of Christ taking all of our sins on his shoulders for us. Um so I go and I call um when when it was all done and there was nothing else to tell, um I went into the uh music room where the futon was where I was gonna stay for a few months and um I picked up the phone and called my buddy Paul Lee. Yeah. And um and I said, man, I, I, we, you know, he was the first member of my band. Uh, when I played the K house, I'm playing by myself playing road goes on forever. <laughs> and they see these, I see these dudes, their pledges and they're got on blue jeans and white shirts and they're lined up and they're walking through the, you know, the, the, the pledge master was, was displaying them to all the uh, attendees of the party at burgers and beer on Thursday. And they're all walking through the yard and he breaks the line and runs up and he starts singing the harmonies with me. And I was like, you know, he's like this tall. Oh yeah, like dude. And I said, do you play an instrument? And he jumped back in line. and He goes, oh yeah. It's <laughs> <I was laughs> like, awesome. So he came over and Lynch. He got Lynch uh, to come over and so that was sort of that was our first band was the three of us and we did we would do Pete's piano bar and all kinds of things just a three piece acoustic. Lynch, right. would, Lynch would play bass and right. me and me and Paul would play guitar. So Paul was always um, like whenever I wanted to say GD in a song or I had any kind of dam or F and S and he would. Encourage me not to put that on the record. Yeah. Cause he's like, man, it's just, you know, and so I knew, uh, he's, you know, he's a Bible thumper, but he's a good guy. Um, and so I knew I just, I just, something put on my heart to to call him. So I called him and I was like, I'm probably going to get divorced. I don't know what I'm doing. My life's my, my world's falling apart. And I was like, can you, can you meet with me? Will you talk with me? Will you help me? Mm -hmm. And I don't even know what I'm asking, but like, I need some, I need help. And I think that you might be the guy to help me and he's like absolutely so picked the winner there he he met with me every every monday for uh, over a year and he just started walking me through you know for me it was i i i picked my bible up and i started looking in the bible and i was like this is the one thing that i hadn't tried and then i was like i don't even know what i'm doing like so i just shut it and set it down and it's like i've tried everything else to 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 make myself happy and i'm clearly not i'm i'm, I'm a mess and i don't know where to even begin Uh, And and that's the one thing I never did try. So, uh, you know, he started walking me through it all. Uh, I started to meet other men like him. I started to go to Bible studies, men's groups, uh, weekend retreats and things like that. And uh, that began the healing process and began the liberation of, uh, of, of all this stuff that I was holding over myself and beating myself up with saying, you're no good. You're not good enough. You need to go do this so people will like you. Um, and I got to really look in the mirror and, and, and look back at my life. And like, like you were saying, those guys, I was buying stuff for guys to be their daddy. I was analyzing every aspect of my life from, from when I was really, really young to, to that point and, and realizing what was, what was missing and where the, where there were issues and why, like, mm-hmm. a, and, and all those years of therapy that helped as well to be able to, and now I'm sober and um, I'm, I'm, being introduced to this book uh, that I was afraid of and, and walking through the idea of having faith and, and, and I wanted to believe, like I wanted that to be the thing that, that mattered. And, and so I was always afraid if I went down that road and I found out that I didn't believe, then I'd be really screwed. <laughs> yeah, then man. I'd be dead. I, I always, that's what I thought. Wow. Cause I was on almost a suicidal track in general, just the way that I was living. But if I found out that there wasn't a God and then none of this mattered, it'd be like, pfft, I'm going out in a blaze of glory. You right. know, like there's be no point. And so thank goodness I found out that I do believe He's there and, and, uh, and that it, it does matter mm-hmm. and that there is a better path. For me, that there was a better purpose for me, that there's better opportunities for me, and a lot of it has to do with me getting out of the way, me submitting, me finding uh, humility, and putting others first—my um, wife, to be specific—and so changed everything. Uh, my understanding of marriage, my understanding of fatherhood, my understanding of of sonship—all um, of it—and so it all got laid out over the last. And I'm and it's, the, the wonderful thing is like it's the journey is is never ending. So. I used to get high in order to write. I used to do, do cocaine or ecstasy in order to write. Um, I just got to that point where I tried it once and I loved it and I liked what I wrote and people liked what I wrote. So I thought right. oh, this is a great path. And it came to a place where I thought if I wasn't high, I couldn't write. And I started learning how to be like you know, high on the Holy Spirit. But the truth is when I get to places where I start talking about my faith and I start talking about it in in real time with, with somebody who else, who, who also understands uh, and has faith. And we have really like just nitty gritty conversations where we're, we're, we're sharing the things that he's done in our lives and the the paths that we've taken and the choices that we've made and how God's been in the middle of it and shaping us and what's happening now. I get high on that conversation and then we write. And so it's like, I traded one drug for the one drug that never ends. There's like, there's scripture about, um him saying if you drink that water you'll be thirsty again but if you drink from my fountain you'll never thirst again and the the reality of that is like when you start drinking from the fountain of of the word of god like you get high and you don't and it it, the high doesn't get diluted over time like the first high the 50 for 53rd high is just as good as the first high it's like it's it's like you're chasing the dragon we don't have to chase dragon you've got the dragon you know what i mean right so it's uh So that began that whole process. And over the last 10 years, it's just been uh, an up and down of, of my understanding and my walk. And so now I don't, I I quit drinking and doing drugs that day and and chasing women that day. And so um, taking all that stuff out of the equation, I knew, I knew the decision to chase women uh, was, was always in me, but the, um, uh, the actual committing of, of it was when I was drunk or stoned or, or high. Right. So I was like, okay, in order to help me stop doing that, I'm going to remove alcohol, which will remove drugs. Cause no, I don't want to do drugs when I'm not drunk. Uh, and so maybe if I get rid of those things, it'll help me not to make that decision to chase that girl. And it, it has helped tremendously. Absolutely. The desire is always there. Um, but a sober mind has a lot better uh ability to look past the end of your nose and recognize the consequences of the action you're about to take right a drunken stone mind's like ah, this can be great you know so um that's been the the journey and how you know, has it been
1: i know it, i know that it is reflected in music but how has it been to you reflected in your music as far as that goes because that was that would scare <laughs> uh, me yeah to think it scared me well because you know there's a thing about christian music that sometimes is like come on man exactly so how did you reconcile that and, and how does it fit? Played out. How does it fit in your, in your songwriting? So in the beginning, I was
2: uh, not sure how, I, I didn't know what was happening. I knew that things were changing and I isolated myself from a lot of people um, because I needed to, I needed to figure out how to be me again and not have those influences. Cause I was too weak. I was like, if I hang out with that guy, I'm going to end up making some mistakes. So I would you know i'd separate myself and then um as the writing started to change it wasn't uh so specific to like jesus this and jesus that it was more of just like there's something more um um, and i'm finding a better way and that kind of thing and so it would it would play out in a little bit at a time but anybody who knew me or knew what i was going through uh could you know read between the lines mm-hmm. um, and so as the years have gone on uh, and after, after a couple of years of really walking in this, in this new path um, and really believing it, like coming to the place, there was a, there was a night. Cause like I said, I, I wanted to believe it was true, but there was just a part of me. It was like, I don't know if I want to take this leap and, and I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I think this is right, but I'm not a hundred percent. And right. something happened. I was at a, I was at a retreat. And I just remember like coming to this place where I'm like, I was, I was, I was in the shower and I was just standing there and I was like looking at my hand and I just kept just looking at my hand and just thinking to myself, like that didn't, this, this didn't just freaking happen. This is not, you know, dust and rocks and a perfect, like coincidence that I just couldn't believe that. And everything that I'd been listening to and throughout the, the weekend, I just, and so I was like, there's this Billy Graham, um, had said that he came to a place where he, with his faith, where he was, he was holding the Bible, the word of God. And he was, he had a really close friend with him in his walk and his friend had decided that he didn't believe. And he became an atheist and and has spent devoted his life to atheism. And Billy was like, he he was trying to convince Billy to come with him. And he was like, you can't prove that that's the true word of God. Uh, And so that was enough for that guy. He was done. And so Billy was like standing there and he's holding and he prayed and prayed and prayed. And he finally just said, god i'm going to take this as your word on faith and i'm going to ask that you would consecrate that oath and so that's the rest of his life is you know history um and so i remember just sitting there thinking i don't know if i believe that you're real i don't know if i believe that you're you know all all about your son is real and that all this that i haven't even read yet is real but i'm going to take that it's real on faith i'm just going to believe it i'm going to take that leap and so i did and so um now it's been woven into um the songs that i'm writing in the sense that uh i just i just want to write stuff that's real i mm-hmm. don't i don't want to i don't want to write stuff that um that just rhymes and, and sounds good and makes you makes you feel good i want to write stuff that's that resonates because it's based on fact and truth and, yeah. the, and the reality and truth of of what i believe to be god's truth um so it's not christian music um in the in the in that sense um, and now a lot of my shows, um, things that we do now are, are what I call testimony shows. So I'll start off playing the the songs that we recorded back in the 90s and, and early 2000s. And then I'll stop for a second and I'll start telling the story of why that song is important and where it led to. And then I tell them the whole story I just told you, except in a shorter version. Mm-hmm. And I, I essentially give my full testimony and, and I'm completely transparent about my marriage and things like that. And so it throws some people off because they're sitting there like I thought I was coming to. I thought I we going, going to write a songwriter show, yeah. <laughs> and I and I basically tell them that I, you know, I've, I've everything in my life has changed and it's for, and it's for the better. And so and then here's here's uh, some new stuff, and then I go back to playing the old stuff and just kind of like it's sort of like a hiatus in the middle to say uh,
1: things are different now. And yeah. You know, and how's it received? I mean, general amazing. Yeah.
2: So the coolest part for me. And so I used to want to get up there and I wanted everybody to, to see me and love me, mm-hmm. right? And I wanted to get off stage and be adored and I wanted girls to come love on me. Um, and now, truly, truly, when I get up on stage, I, I, I'm i excited about playing, but I'm more excited about telling people that that I've found faith and that uh, that it's Jesus and that um, it's changed my life. And if you want to talk about it, I'll be at the merch table after the show. And so that's like my favorite time all night, telling them that they're loved, that I'm loved that's the love of Christ. And then meet me at the merch table. And then I go sit there at the merch table and wait for people to come up and, and open up. A lot, a lot of people will come up and just start like crying and telling me stuff. And some people just come up and say, thanks for saying what you said. Thanks yeah. for being honest. Um, and other people you know, will, will pray over me or stuff like that. So as far as it, it's been really well-received. I mean, if it hasn't been well-received, I'm not getting those notes or those that mail. That's what I've found. Most people don't come up, wait in line to tell you how much they don't like it. They you. hate you. Well, that's not, yeah, they, they do it online. Yeah. They, they troll they troll your Facebook page
1: to tell you that you suck. So did you ever want to go to Nashville? Just changing changing the subject. Did you ever want to go Oh, yeah. have a record deal and... Absolutely. Me and Jens went.
2: We took his uh, his 1987 Suburban. We dressed up in our blue jean outfits and... You know jens with cowboy boots and a cowboy hat's like that's, over seven it's a big man so uh he had a 1987 square body suburban and we drove that thing from austin to, to nashville i think we spent six or seven hundred dollars that was back in the the late 90s on uh on gas on gas yeah um and we uh i can't remember exactly how it all played out we had one or two publishing companies that were gonna let us you know come give him the CD. And I was thinking this would be it. You know, you just walk in and give him the CD and you get a deal. And she put the record on and it was a, a song called the preacher and it's Yen's playing. And, and then I start singing and there's a lot of words in the, in the first verse mm-hmm. and she listened to the first verse and then she hit you know, stop and re- eject and handed me back the CD. And she's like too many words. And I was like, Okay. Uh, what, There's what like else? nine more, you know, 11 more <laughs> songs on there. You want to you try any other? She goes, I don't need to listen to anything else. And I was like, well, would you mind listening to one more song? We came a long way. And she's like, okay. So she put in like a slow love song that I thought was one of the best written ones on there. And she's like,
1: yeah, no, it's just not what we're looking for. Yeah. I like, okay. Lucky you, man. At least you got honesty. Yeah. I mean, that town can- String you along on, on the other stuff too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The well, honest part's good. Yeah.
2: So that was it. We, we, uh, we left and then we went home and wrote, uh, Nashville blues. And then that encouraged a bunch of the fans to sing, to chant Nashville sucks. Yeah. We recorded it and then we put it on the record and then we made t-shirts out of it. And that's our biggest selling item. Our remember when t shirts. Still, that's our, that's my shtick. Ray so White. what
1: now, what are you doing now? Like just playing, how many shows you play this year? Um, we try to do about a hundred
2: and try to do about, uh, it's try to do about a, uh, 60, 40 split between 60 full band, 40 acoustics. Mm Um, and I'm doing every, every chance that I get with the acoustics, I, I make them testimony shows. And so, um, just depending on where I'm at, it's, it's, uh, part of, part of the show and it's just, I'm kind of going in that direction. Uh, full band shows different, you know, we, we, we do our, our old stuff and, and try to keep People excited because that there's that uh that thing that that we have that's really cool is like we get to be be part of the soundtrack of people's lives, oh yeah right, yeah, and that's like the coolest honor when people say like, oh, i I came to see you this year at this place, and you're playing this song, and I played this song at my wedding, and i you know and and you were with me when I floated down the river, and I listened to these songs, and it's just like that's awesome yeah that's like, cool like your your memory lane has me woven in it, yeah, that's amazing, so we do a lot of that, uh fair, fairs and festivals and things, but we still, Green Hall and Lueckenbach and, Bach and, and uh, Billy Bob's and things like that are still on the, on the um, roster.
1: We've known each other, what, 20? How long has it been? 95? It had to be at least that, yeah. Yeah, maybe 96, when it's I first, first got years. in there, yeah. yeah. It's been, it's been really a pleasure watching you, watching your journey. I mean... It's been interesting, but more interesting <laughs> in other times than not. Yeah. But uh Thanks, man. You know, watching your your songwriting and, and just you as a man and you know, knowing a little bit about you know, some of those issues we talked about. I'm uh, seeing it in your face. Yeah. And hearing it in your songs and and now, you know, fast forward the last few years, every time I see you, I'm like, Well, he turned into a man it's great thanks man I'm really proud of you man
2: you know those uh therapy sessions with each song and each album that's like I I basically used each album to be a, a historical therapy session for me you yeah. know to kind of help me uh work out work it all out so it's uh the uh content in the last 10 years is, is generally uh, a
1: little more upbeat <laughs> what's well, also a little more interesting I, and I mean, was- when, you, when you, when you talk about finding out that all you needed to do was, was tell the truth that was there the whole time, didn't have to make it up and I'm glad. And I didn't really have anything to do with it. I hear it in your songs, you know, yeah. I see it when you sing, I yeah. can tell that you're not, there's nothing, uh, you're not judging yourself. Yeah. Yeah yeah yeah
2: there's a i still have a tendency to beat myself up we and, all do. and and do that but uh, i i've been surrounded god's put some really amazing people in my life and some uh really beautiful men of god that uh just that support me encourage me and lift me up and and they won't let me stay down on myself so they just keep reminding me of what i know to be true because yeah. that old self and those old lies that i would tell myself they're always creeping in there trying to trying to keep me down and beat me down and and make me you know put me into a hole and yeah. it's just uh it's just a battle that you've got to fight every day and so i'm trying to find new habits and trade old habits for new habits and recognize that i need habits but i gotta start i gotta start finding things that are that are good for me and good for my family yeah. you know
0: hey
1: so you got that whiskey <laughs> yeah,
0: i got the pot you got i got, co- I, got some
2: coke. <laughs> I brought the, I, I brought i brought the cocaine <laughs> thank you cory Morrow, everybody thank